Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's just go. We have to end soon. We have to end soon, so let's go. I have a dream. This nation will rise up. Live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. If an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term, and the primary process is started, we'll wait to the next election. I'm the president and you're fake news. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Peter Robinson and Rob Long. I'm James Lavex, and today we talk to John Yu because it's SCOTUS time and General H.R. McMaster about the world. So let's have ourselves a podcast. I can hear you! Welcome, everybody. This is the Ricochet Podcast, number 514, if you're keeping track at home, as the cliche goes. Wish I hadn't said that, because it's a cliche. But not cliched ever. Rob Long and Peter Robinson, every (laughs) single sparkling word, brand new, freshly coined, newly minted uh, wisdom, wisdom and nothing but. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you today? Rob goes first. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm at that point. Which is actually rather late in the uh, an election cycle when I'm sick of it. Normally, I think I'm, I don't think I'm alone. You're sick of it, right? You know, before Labor Day. But this mm-hmm. has been there's been so much else going on. I don't know if you've been following the news lately, but there's been so much going on. <laughs> it's like you kind of have to remember. Oh yeah, there's also an election. That's right. There's an election. Yeah. I wonder how that's. I wonder how that's going. Um, I'm sick. Of, I'm sick of it. Well, as well as the idea that come November third, that's just the start of what will be a fortnight of daily. Not. Pounding oh, yes. to the face. Oh, yes, no. yes. I think yes. Trump supporters have to pray and hope that it's a long night. I think that is the uh, the only possibly what it seems more likely scenario oh. for Trump victory is a close election. I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying it won't be. It might be. There's a um, debate in four days. There's a. There are a lot of events that could change. Mm. everything. No, that's not true. It's too late to change everything. But there are a lot of events that could swim yeah. things. I, well, let's I, talk I about honest. that. Let, let, let's talk about that debate because as you know, Joe Biden has declared a chapeau, a sombrero, Lid. a fedora for the I just hate that term. When I found out that it came from the West Wing. Came from the West Wing from what I hear, which is just all the more reason to just uh, shuffle along and find a new term. Joe Biden has not been seen in public. Uh, in nine days, he's been prepping for debate. He's been learning all of his lines. So uh, expectations are high that he'll be his crackling self 
What do you think that uh, Biden's got to do to win the debate? What do you think that Donald Trump has to do to win the debate? Two separate questions, uh, Peter. Well, Joe Biden has to demonstrate a kind of baseline energy, competence, and coherence. Listen, I uh, this, it feels terrible to be saying this about a man, any man, let alone a presidential candidate, but because he is a presidential candidate, we have to say it. I had a discussion about this with a friend of mine who's a doctor, and I said, look, are journalists overreacting? Are we, we get these selective clips and they put them up on Twitter and he's, she seems to be searching for words and so forth. And the physician said, no, every time I've seen Biden, it, I never met him, but I look at him on the television and everything about it suggests to me early stages of dementia. Joe Biden has to show that he's up to the job. Honestly, as far as I can tell, that's really all he has to do. He has to prepare himself for, he has to remain calm when Donald Trump attacks, throws some a few punches, as I'm sure Trump will do, but remain calm, demonstrate coherence, a sort of baseline level of animal energy. And that's all Joe Biden has to do. So if they have, so if they jab him in the, in the fundament with a Kennedy cocktail before he goes on, should there be drug <laughs> testing before these things? That's the question, I guess. <laughs> that's over to Rob. <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, I, I, you know, it's hard because I know that m many of our listeners are Trump supporters, and I understand what it feels like to be supporting somebody who is having trouble in the polls. But this is the bad news. I think Peter's ex exactly right. Joe Biden doesn't have to do much. He's ahead right. in national polls. He's ahead in a lot of the statewide polls. We're having we're, we're talking about states like now, like Arizona and Texas. I think Texas is a fantasy for the Dems, but I don't think it's a crazy fantasy. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't have to do much. The person who's got to do a whole lot and has to do a whole lot of not being his normal self is Trump. The Trump Act is old and he is not winning. And unfortunately, I don't know if Trump has another act. So if mm. he's if he goes on that debate and is a Trump 211, that is not going to help his uh, performance in November. And we know this is true because even his campaign staff are saying this. Um, they're trying to downplay whatever happens in the debates before the debates where you, when you know you're in trouble. Um, so that's just the bad news. And I know people don't want to hear that, but that is in fact the bad news that is harder. As I've been saying and saying and saying, it's more uphill for Trump than it is for Biden. Still and we true. like to, we like to sing ourselves little lullabies like, oh, well, you know, Biden has to do this. He didn't have to do a thing, you know, for, for Biden, he, he should just think about not even showing up. That wouldn't hurt him a bit in the polls, I don't think. So I, I suspect that um, that wh while we like to think that there are going to be uh, big, big movements after the debates, there won't be big movement movements after the debates. Um, it's going to be what it is all the way to November. Uh, I think people have, have seemed to have made up their mind. If you look at the polls, the poll averaging from six months ago, they're pretty solid. They're mm -hmm. pretty stagnant. Um, and I think that's a, a bad sign for the Trump campaign. And I'm not saying they can't turn it around, but the, the 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 likelihood they'll turn it around at this point, um, beginning of October, um, when it requires so much change in part of the candidate, I just don't see it. I do not see it. The bizarre thing is that you have an election in which one candidate is just sitting in the basement and holding yeah. these rallies where people sit in painted circles six feet apart. And the other is out there having fun before the crowds and luxuriating in the love and all the rest of it. Right. But we're used to seeing at least both sides 
having rousing debates and and thumping, barnstorming speech. Mm -hmm. But how many Biden voters – I mean, sure, there are some who are just checking the box because they hate Trump, because it's the only thing they're going to do. But how many of them have have sort of incorporated into their vote the idea that he's not quite all there, that he's – Everybody. Everybody, well, maybe, everybody. But, but, but people have That's, been doing that for Trump for four years. Look, yes. the problem yeah, for the Trump is, supporters is, no, but, but is you have, is wait, different. wait, let me finish. You have one candidate who's not even campaigning and the other who's campaigning full steam ahead. The one who's not campaigning is winning in all the polls. <laughs> the one who's campaigning to his, to his heart out is losing. What does that tell you? Right. It tells me there's a lot of people who want to vote for somebody, anybody but Donald Trump because they hate Donald Trump or they don't like him or they think he's injurious to the country, et cetera. But I mean, the, the criticism that were being made about Trump were not that he's lost his mind in the sense that it's faded, gurgled down the drain. It's that he's crazy. He's uh, he's he's, uh, he's canon, emotionally he's the, and mentally unstable. Right. The, all of those things. But that's that's different from somebody whose whose cognitive decline may be such that they have to hand right. over the reins of power to, to Mrs. Wilson. <laughs> and, 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 and Mrs. If, Wilson if, would be an improvement, I think. Yeah, if that's the if that's the case, then you would think that our national press would have a little bit of curiosity about her as well. But the the press's incuriosity about this is just is is fascinating me. When Peter said reporters sharing the clips of uh, Biden stumbling and saying this, I'm thinking. Which reporters exactly? No, no, no. On on Twitter, Twitter, Twitter on on Twitter, Twitter, right? On Twitter, right? right which right. is where reporters we, aren't you know, doing that. That's right. Get most of our news apparently. But yes. Uh, anyway, yeah. well, okay. Well, we'll so for we'll Trump s- win, it's it it ain't over. Bear in mind, I know Rob will have an answer to this, but I'll, so I'll I'll toss in the answer myself. Bear in mind that Ronald Reagan in 1980 was trailing Jimmy Carter until one week before the election. Now, what happened that one week before the election was the one debate that took place in 1980. And the Americans looked at Ronald Reagan and saw that he wasn't crazy. And the polls began moving toward Reagan from that point on. Rob's point, and I'll make the point too, because it is correct, is that in 1980, watching the debate gave millions of Americans new information. It enabled them to see Ronald Reagan for the first time. Joe Biden and Donald Trump are both pretty well known. And so for Trump to win, he has to make an argument. He has to be sane. Biden has to breathe. Trump has to be sane. You'd think these are relatively low bars. And yet I think there's a good question about him. But that's, I, I, I mean, that's true. Biden has to show up and show that he's that he's got some marbles, but he can't just stand there and breathe. He can't just stand there and mumble some incoherent response to, you know, to uh, some pot of fire that, that Trump just dumped over his head. Why can't he? Yeah. Be, because then he will appear in every instance to be out of his depth intellectually and emo- and and, and mm. um, maybe maybe that, he, he's, that he's not the there. Polls. The number of it, undecideds is is the smallest it's ever been. Um, you know, I, what, I, I think what, there. I think people. What percentage I, I think, are undecided at this? According to whatever you just. It's tiny. I don't forget what it is, but it's a tiny number. I mean, it's like this is a this is one of those elections where you know it's a change election. This is what I have, thing sort of this sort of thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, there. <laughs> There's not that many. There may be some states that are up for grabs, but I think they're up for grabs for the Democrats to win that they don't need to win. They're just more paths for the Democrats to win for the for the House. I mean, the, the Senate and the White House than there than there were. I mean, part of it is just numerically. Part of it is just the the, the hand that they're drawn. Part of it is that the, the 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 person at the top of the Republican ticket is not popular. And 
And I know I mean, nobody wants to hear that. Yes, he's pop. He's not popular. And he has done nothing in three and a half years to change that. Mm-hmm. And that, that may be just what it is. That, that, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not even talking about his policies. I'm just saying this, that, that the an, a general election is a popularity contest, period. And if you're not popular, you have a hard time. You have a hard, it's hard. And, um, and, and, and he doesn't seem to be any movement one way or the other. It doesn't seem to well, be any okay. I'm going to make, any I'm going to make one more case. I, 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 I am going to grant the weight of Rob's argument that the race is what it is and the, the numbers haven't moved much. And uh, what I've been looking at is Ohio. Republicans don't win without Ohio. Trump carried Ohio by eight points last time around. It wasn't even close. And Biden is ahead by between three, four points, something like that in Ohio. None of this looks good for Trump or the Republicans. However, I actually think this, however, is quite important. However, I can see events between now, events, not Trump, events that between now and election day would cut in Trump's favor and the Republicans' favor more generally. Event number one, the decreasing concern with COVID, people becoming less frightened about COVID and more interested in the rebounding economy. That would help Trump. It would tend to help Trump. Number two, continued violence. There are cities in which riots and, well, if riots, uh, in uh, riot, they're riots. They're, they're unrest, violence, destruction is still taking place. There are a lot of people who just keep looking at that and shaking their head and saying, I don't like Trump, but maybe I have to vote for the guy. And then, of course, what we don't know about yet, we'll know it'll move fast. We'll know a lot about it beginning on Saturday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern, and that is the Supreme Court nominee and contest. And if it is Amy Coney Barrett, who is a brilliant judge, mother of seven children, five her biological children, two adopted from Haiti, in other words, a wonderful human being, and pretty hard to attack, and yet the Democrats and the Judiciary Committee in those hearings will not be able to prevent themselves from attacking because the left, the hard left in the Democratic Party will demand it of them. The thinking is that the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were so bad for the Democrats, they may have delivered three seats in the Senate to the Republicans that would have been questionable or that the Republicans might have lost badly last time around. So I can see, will it happen that way? I don't know, but I can see events tending to help Trump between now and election day. Are there any events that could happen that would help Joe Biden? I don't see them. Biden's Rob's, about as strong now as he's ever going to get, I think. And now, and, and now Rob will pour a large pail of cold water over what Peter just well, said. Well, no, I think that's actually true. I mean, I, I agree oh. with that. I just, I'm just looking at the pa- at past, connecting the dots. We had, a, we had a, a pandemic. People forget, in the beginning of the pandemic, Trump's popularity was high. There is, in fact, uh, I, I think it's just maybe Boris Johnson just now, um, all of the democratically elected leaders, pretty much, um, in Europe anyway, have have had increased popularity during the pandemic, not decreased popularity. Um, Trump had a, a, a moment, I think it was like almost four weeks, where people wanted him to succeed and he was he, and he was looking like he was taking this seriously. The pandemic did not help him. The riots did not help him. The call to law and order did not help him. The death of a Supreme Court justice last week so far in the polls did not help help him. You know, look, I I know I'm a broken record on this, but I say this as somebody who does not want to lose the Republican majority in the Senate, where I were a a green eye shade, um, 
unemotional political operative, I would be saying what unemotional political operatives should be saying right now, which is cut the president loose. Dump him. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every man for himself, every Senate candidate on, on the, in the Republican Party should run their own campaign. They should forget about trying to save this guy. He's going to go down, and I don't want to go down with him. And if he doesn't go down, then fine. Then he's got to come. we got to make, make peace. But, you know, <laughs> like we, we can bang our spoon on the high chair all we want. But if we lose in November and we lose big, there's going to be hell to pay, and we're going to be paying that bill. And there's no reason— in politics to get sentimental. That's what the left does. The right, we should be saying, push the guy off the cliff. <laughs> but we well, won't because we have some weird sentimental attachment. No, no, I, do, I weird did. sentimental Look, attachment to him, even though he's done nothing for us. Whereas Susan we would Collins, push Mitt Romney off the cliff in, in a second, as well we should. Susan Collins is not running with Trump. She's running from Trump. Right. Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. Uh, Cory Gardner, Cory Gardner in Colorado is running a Cory Gardner campaign. Yeah, he's cut himself smart. away from Trump. Yeah, smart. these guys, they're professionals. They're looking at the polls. They're doing what they need to do. I'm not too terribly worried that Senate candidates on our side are going to be sentimental. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, there's so, yeah, you're right. When I when you put it a few way. of these guys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, they're they're sweet. They're 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 sweet. <laughs> well, I heard that siren in the background when Rob was uh, talking there. Is is that uh, was did I hear correctly, Rob? New York, I expect, is not convulsed at the moment in violence, but uh, a siren seems to indicate that something's amiss. We had him here as well. But what we have in Minneapolis right now going on is, is very interesting. I was watching some protests last night, and I was trying to pin them down, and I could pin down the exact location of the Minneapolis protest by the building in back of it because it was ah. a beautiful new structure that had gone up. It's actually a public services building, but there are all kinds of residential and office towers still going up in Minneapolis anticipating that moment when people come back and that's great and i love to look at architecture i love to look at buildings but there's the other part about it and there's that part that's investing in them 
You've heard for years that it's important to have a diversified portfolio, right? Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, that kind of thing. But if you've ever looked at a breakdown of the most successful portfolios, you'll typically see a diversified set of real estate. So why isn't it one of the first asset classes you consider when you're looking to diversify? Uh, simply, it hasn't been available to investors like you and me until now, thanks to Fundrise. They make it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you're just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. Here's how. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high-quality, high-potential real estate as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. Whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise has you covered. To date, Fundrise manages more than $1 billion in assets for 130,000-plus investors. And since 2014, the Fundrise platform has averaged 87 to 12.4% annual returns, and investors have earned more than $79 million in dividends alone. Fundrise's team of real estate professionals carefully vet and actively manage all of their real estate projects. And with their easy-to-use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via asset updates. So, start building your better portfolio today. Get started at Fundrise.com slash Ricochet to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash Ricochet to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. Fundrise.com slash Ricochet. And our thanks to Fundrise for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Well, you guys had mentioned that the Supreme Court uh, SCOTA situation had moved Trump's polls one way or the other. Uh, we should probably talk about that and the questions of hypocrisy and process and norms and the rest of it. And who better to talk about the Supreme Court than John Yu, of course, the Ricochet Podcast Senior Supreme Court Packing Correspondent and Chief Pundit, well as being his professor at the Berkeley School of Law. He co-hosts Law Talk with Epstein and Yu Podcast, and he can tell you whether a cheesesteak sandwich is authentic simply by looking at it. Another one of his rare culinary skills. His new book is Defender-in-Chief, available at fine bookstores and McDonald's everywhere. And of course, uh, he will, if you ask, proudly trot out the picture of himself in the Oval Office, smiling with the person that he wrote the book about, Donald Trump. Welcome, John. How are you doing? Thanks. Did you guys think you could get rid of me just by not having any impeachments or no, 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 I, I wanna, no uh, presidential powers? You really think you could get rid of me? Of course, no, here's honest, morning, of course the Supreme Court wasn't over. My yeah. first thought, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, and my first thought was, oh, nuts. We have to have you back on the show. My first thought upon hearing that was that was looking for a photograph of John Yu in the background with an umbrella full of rice and that he was going to, you know, just so he could get back. <laughs> my, no, no, my first thought was to, was to send him a condolence. Colonial. Send you condolence to semin- uh, Telegram and say so sorry that you're not on a short list due to anti-Korean racism. <laughs> hey John, here's right. a clip that I, here's a clip even, I want you to listen. Koreans have anti-Korean racism. We hate ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> here's a clip. Lindsey Graham talking uh, about uh, the SCOTUS nomination situation around election time in 2016 and 2018. Uh, listen to this and tell me if you can vet the hypocrisy or the principles or the norms or any of those things that we're so concerned about. I want you to use my words against me. If there's a Republican president in 2016 and a vacancy occurs in the last year of the first term, you can say, Lindsey Graham said, let's let the next president, who it, whoever it might be, make that nomination. If an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term, and the primary process has started, we'll wait to the next election. 
and I've got a pretty good chance of being the junior. You're on the record. Yeah. All right. Hold the tape. <laughs> so, in other words, situational power politics may have trumped uh, personal principle. Who knew that that could happen in Washington D.C.? John, what do you uh, what do you make of all this? <laughs> well, uh, first, I think actually Graham got the rule wrong, and it's funny because. The senator who invented it is from his state. It used to be called the Thurman Rule after Strom Thurmond. And the rule used to be, and then became the Biden Rule, whoever's rule. But the rule actually used to be, if there's a vacancy in the last year of a presidency, the Senate will not have hearings or bring it to a vote if that person didn't have a chance of being confirmed by the Senate anyway. And it sort of devolved into the McConnell idea of, well, if the president's from one party and the Senate's from another party, then we're just going to hold it open. But it's simply not true historically that people who uh, – the vacancies aren't filled in the last year of a presidential term. I actually went back and looked. And so I think in uh, there have been a number of vacancies that have occurred in the last year of a presidency when the president and the Senate have been controlled by the same party. All of them have been confirmed but one, and that was Abe Fortas, which is a special case since he was basically corrupt. <laughs> and then in the, all the cases where the president and the Senate were from different parties, I think only maybe one or two did get confirmed. And I actually went back and looked at who these people have been. So if Graham's rule had been in effect or the rule that, say, Senator Biden wants to – Vice President Biden wants to put in effect now, which is just don't confirm anybody – in the last year of a presidency, right. that would have deprived us of the greatest justice in the history of the United States, which Chief Justice John Marshall, universally mm. claimed as the greatest Supreme Court justice ever, the person who really founded the power of the Supreme Court and the country and the federal government in its early history. He was, get this, Thomas Jefferson won the election of 1800. But back then, inauguration wasn't until March. After Jefferson had won, in January, after Adams had repeatedly asked other people to be chief justice and got turned down, uh, Marshall was actually the secretary of state. It's like the Cheney rule of vice presidents. Adams basically said, well, I can't find anybody. Marshall, why don't you do it? <laughs> so Marshall, this young guy, was both nominated and confirmed in January of 1801, well after Jefferson had already won. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So the Thurmond rule was simply really what it came down to was – don't waste anybody's time holding hearings if the Senate is not going to confirm the – if there's no chance of confirmation, right? Isn't that really what it came down to? Yeah, so why humiliate a nominee and beat the hell out of them in a hearing when you know they're never going to get through? All right, so speaking of the word nominee, who's it going to be? Uh, if I was betting my own money or worse yet, if I was betting Rob's money, <laughs> which I try to do whenever we're on those casino <laughs> casino, <laughs> casino trips, um, I, I, th I think it's going to be Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, and the reason why is exactly because she is so prominent, because she, mm -hmm. uh, she, she actually, if you look at her record, and I've followed her for a long time, we clerked for the same uh, lower court judge. She is very clear on where she stands on a lot of issues. She has written as a law professor – a lot more than Justice Scalia ever wrote before she he was nominated to the Supreme Court. She's been very clear about a lot of things. So I think that prominence means Trump picks her. He's kept his promise from four years ago that he appoints originalist judges. At the same time, it's going to drive the left absolutely bonkers because right. she really does have a clear record. Hey, okay, got, so okay. Can, uh, last question, yeah, Rob. Yeah. Sorry. Level of heat, noise, fury with a Kavanaugh – 
confirmation hearings at 10 and the what the Scalia confirmation hearings or the Ruth Bader Ginsburg, both of them were approved by more than 90 votes, as I recall, with those as a one. Where do you expect these confirmation hearings to come down? Isn't there that uh, faux rock band movie where the guy says, I always turn the volume up to 11? What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if Kavanaugh was 10, this is going to be 11 or 12 because, yes, uh, uh, Democrats got themselves worked up because Kavanaugh was replacing Justice Kennedy. That's supposedly the fifth vote. Right. Uh, to do things like strike down Roe versus Wade, supposedly. But in the meantime, Justice Chief Justice Roberts has moved to the middle and kind of assumed the vacuum left by Justice Kennedy. So if you put on a sixth conservative nominee uh, on the court, that prevents Chief Justice Roberts from playing footsie with moderates or the left on the court. Then I think you really do start the constitutional uh, – I'm sorry, the conservative direction of the court – Finally, in the direction conservatives have wanted since uh, since 1968, but they've never been able to achieve it. I really do think a Barrett or some of the other nominees uh, on the short list would really succeed in solidifying that conservative majority, which we've never really had. And that happens at the same time that the culture and the politics lurches ever more leftwards, which is interesting. System seems to be able to check itself, but. Looking at a, at a conservative court, wouldn't a newly ascended Democratic majority then just pack the hell out of it so they can get their majority back and make sure that whatever they decide to do for great justice is, of course, constitutional? Do you see them packing I mean, the I court wish, should they win? Yeah, I wish conservatives did a better job of explaining what they're doing because, you know, uh, James, if the culture is getting more liberal and politics is getting more liberal, all conservatives on the court really want to do – and they should say so, is return all these questions back to politics. It's like mm. the Supreme Court doesn't want to decide abortion anymore. You guys fight it out in the political right. process. If the right. country really is going left, if it's going towards Rob's direction, then you'll be able to vote on it and put those effects <laughs> to, those, to law. You know, if, if, if he wants to ban the McRib in every McDonald's, you guys decide that. No, it's just for you. A, a bill of attainder for John You. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the second thing is, you know, this, this is an interesting thing about the, <laughs> about the court packing, which uh, I, you know, I, I talk about in the book because it really struck me. Everybody but Biden actually is the only nominee in the Democratic primary contest who didn't vote for court packing. They had one of those raise your hand kind of moments and everybody else said, yeah, I would pack the court. But it's really not an issue, I think, of uh, senatorial practice anymore if you do that. You know, you could have arguments, the McConnell rule, the Thurman rule, uh, Schumer or McConnell being hypocrites. But that's still all within the universe. You know, I work there, the universe of the Senate, which is guided by history and tradition. The normal response would be, okay, if you do that to us, then the next time we control the president's Senate, we're going to confirm all the justices we can whenever. But to say you're going to pack the court to – uh, which uh, changed the number, which has been fixed since 1869 and has resisted efforts to change its number since to meddle with its outcomes. That's like dropping a thermonuclear bomb down is, you know, as a retaliation for someone taking a pot shot at you with a handgun. That's so beyond the normal universe of political mm -hmm. retaliation. I got to think of someone like a Joe Manchin or somebody might well stand, stand up and right. say, not on my watch. Well, that's and why we have a Senate, right? Senate. Representatives from all states. And so it's, 
it's not a popular it's not a popular vote. It's a it's a state representative system, which I think kind of is naturally the balance there. But so so but here's what irritates me and tell me if I'm crazy. Why is you're there crazy? Any, you're I, crazy. Okay, wait, let me finish. Why is there any rule at all? The the idea that there's a rule seems to me to smack of this kind of Senate go along, get alongism, this kind of crunch. No, if you're if you ever been elected, if I've hired you and you're in the federal government and your job is to represent your state or something else or be the president of the United States, you're there until you until you, I, I say you're until the Constitution says you're not there. And if you're Donald Trump, you're there until January 22nd or noon on the 23rd or whatever day it is. And that's that. And you and if uh, if uh, if uh, a foreign power invades us on January 21st, you're the commander in chief. And it just seems to me like I don't I, I don't see why there's a rule at all. If if. I know it's politics, but what if, you know, what if Obama and Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Instead of being the you know arrogant unilateralist that he was, what if he'd called up Mitch McConnell and said, listen, um, I'm thinking about these three people for the court. Uh, you tell me which one is the most acceptable to your caucus. What What's wrong with that? What's wrong with actually trying, if you're going to be politics being political, but the idea that that you 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 can't play politics with this seems crazy to me. Like, of course you can. And and if he's president of the United States and the Senate is, is a friendly Senate, he should get whatever he wants, right? I mean, or my I mean, you know, as is your want, you have just driven us down to the lowest common denominator. We are just living with the animals without any rules at all. Good. <laughs> no, the, the, you first you make a really important point. Constitutionally, there are no rules beyond the president gets to nominate until yeah. he's. His term is over, and the Senate gets to confirm until its term is over. But uh, if it were, if the if you look at the Constitution, it sets no other rules for the running of the Senate. And if it were uh, the way you suggest, then other things could easily have. Like, why have a filibuster? Why is there? It's not in the Constitution. You could just get right. rid of it right. all the time. So, what was to stop the Republicans in 2016 from saying the telling the truth, which is, hey, we control the, the 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 Senate. We get to decide. We don't need to come up with a rule. The person you're suggesting is too liberal for us. And so we're just simply not going to have hearings because that's our prerogative. We don't have to come up with some fancy high minded rule that is going to end up making us look like hypocrites. Why do it? We all know what they were doing. They're well within their rights to do it. There's no there's nothing immoral about doing it that way. That's the way the system has been designed. Why do we feel so? Why do they feel so compelled to come up with some kind of idiotic moral Argument. argument justification or yeah. rationale? Yes, but it was in fact constitutional. Yeah, there's no doubt it's constitutional. There's no doubt if President Trump <laughs> nominates Barrett and she's confirmed by the Senate by January 3rd, that would be constitutional too. Uh, it's because the senators tried to. Uh, figure out rules that apply regardless of partisan politics. But I agree with you, Rob. This rule, the Thurman rule, it was really because of raw political power. You've got a Senate where the majority is just opposed to the president. And in fact, you could say it's different now because now the Senate is of the same party as the president, but this Senate in particular, right? Because we talked on the show about all the Kavanaugh hearings and all the stuff that right. happened there. Yeah. 
three senators uh, apparently uh, three Senate seats flipped from Democrat to Republican because of the way that Democrats treated Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court future potential vacancies were an issue in that election two years ago. You can almost say that the Democrats are reaping the whirlwind here for what they did to Kavanaugh two years ago, which was three more Republican Senate seats, which are the margin of victory here if Barrett gets confirmed or whoever right. gets confirmed. Okay, so I, I have two more questions. One's political, one is something else. One, the political question is really quick. Uh, really quick. I, I have a friend of mine who's working in the Republican Senate campaign, in the Republican Senate campaigns, and his statement to me last week was, or this early this week was, the uh, 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 Supreme Court hearings will help Republican Senate candidates will probably hurt the president. Do you believe that's possible? You know, the confirmation process. Look, look Trump is actually the... Uh, is uh, you know is sort of like the introduction to the story, yeah, right? He's right. going to nominate someone. The real fight is the Senate, and how they're going to get enough votes or not. And it's going to remind people why it's important to have a Senate. Uh, you know, a lot of Republican voters, I think, are motivated by the Supreme Court and the hearings, and they're going to, as I, as I look at the schedule, you know, having run these kind of hearings before, right. the you could have the hearings two weeks before the election, and you can have the floor vote on whether to confirm the Supreme Court nominee three or four days before the election and still be within a somewhat normal time for considering yeah. a judicial that nominee. So, so that's going to remind people right before yeah. the election what's at stake with control of the Senate. Okay, sec my second question, just as more of a, because I don't know I don't know nothing about no law. Um, <laughs> Starry Daisy. I, I recommend you say that every time you're pulled over by yeah, a police officer. I don't know nothing about no law. Rob just named his state. favorite lap dancer. Who was that again? Starry Daisy's. <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, Amy, uh, they're going to ask, um, uh, Amy, uh, I, I, I always want to call her Amy Comey. I don't know. I, I, it's like she's James call Comey's her. daughter. Call Amy Barrett. Call they're going to call, they're going to, they're going to ask ACB if Roe v. Wade, what, what her things, what her thoughts about Roe v. Wade are. And in an early questionnaire, she said it's settled law. What does that mean? What does that really mean? Uh, to me, it's settled until you have five justices on the Supreme Court who right. unsettle it. <laughs> I mean, is, she, <laughs> is she implying that her principle will be, well, this is a Supreme Court precedent, which I will not overturn? Uh, that's what she wants people to think. You know, she's written a, a, a long law review article, actually, about how much respect you have to pay for to precedent. Right. And there are precedents, you know, past decisions of the court. Everyone agrees are wrong and Supreme Court justices should overturn them, like Dred Scott, Scott like right. Plessy versus Ferguson, like uh, Brown versus Board of Education was right to, to say Plessy was wrong and to introduce a civil rights movement on the Supreme Court. So there are cases where, settled or not, you think the justices should do what they think is right, reach the right answer, regardless of what past justices have said. The other thing she has written, which I think is, is uh, very important, is she's written a whole article on what Catholics should do when they're judges, because I think the main attack on her, it yeah. may not just be Roe versus Wade, it's using Catholicism as a proxy for what she thinks about abortion, which I think is completely unfair and uh, I really don't think is proper for confirmation. It's what's going to happen. It happened last time when she was uh, confirmed for the circuit court. And she has said, you know, as a Catholic, uh, I may be opposed to abortion or the death penalty, but my duty as a judge is to carry out the Constitution. Uh, Scalia even put it better. She actually, I think, quotes quote Scalia. He said, she, Scalia said, um, there's no Catholic way to cook a hamburger. 
Now, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that either. (laughs) But he said there's no Catholic way to read the constitutional text. There's no Catholic way to treat precedent. You just do what the right answer. And Judge Comey, she went far, Barrett, she went farther. She said, if you can't do that, then you should either recuse yourself from those kind of cases or you should actually just resign from the bench because you can't do your You're in the wrong business. Yes. Last question for you. I think this is, well, we'll. James is running the show. This is my last question anyway. So is that the main look, the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee know perfectly well that the Kavanaugh hearings backfired on them. All the evidence is that there are three seats that the Republicans might have lost, would have lost. Let's put it this way. There were three three senators, three Republican senators who owe at least some portion of their margin of victory to the Kavanaugh hearings. They know it backfired last time. Will they be how will they handle what lines of attack will they pursue if indeed the nominee is Amy Coney Barrett? She's a woman. She's brilliant. She's deeply experienced. She's a mother of seven, two of whom are adopted children from Haiti. How do you get how do you make this person seem like an ogre? <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, if I were the Democrats, they're, I, I would say they're going to lose. So what they should do is pull a suitor and rush to embrace her with open arms, look like the epitome of moderation, uh, hope that she becomes more moderate over the years. I think she, they should have done that with Kavanaugh, too. But instead, I think because of their uh, outside groups, uh, they're going to do a scorched earth on her. And I think Democrats, you know, they see the polls. They see a majority of the country uh, supports a limited right to abortion. And so they want to turn the whole thing into abortion. And if they do, they, they're, they're trying to remind people why it's important to have a Democratic president uh, who will nominate different kinds of nominees. In terms of specific lines of attack, you know, they will uh, do the traditional thing. They're going to, I think they're going to try to bring out all kinds of things about her being Catholic. I guess she's a member of uh, a certain kind of group within Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure they're going to ask her if she's a member of Opus Dei and whether she thought, um, you know, the Da Vinci Code was uh, actually just a documentary (laughs) and not fiction. But she's, you know, they're going to, I think they're going to try, because it's, I think, as you said, it's very hard to attack her. And that's why I think last time they tried to use religion as a proxy for all those issues, which I think was, I, I thought was offensive, but I, you know, they may well think that was effective and they might repeat it. There's not a lot of cases that they can go on, but she has written a lot of law review articles, law scholarly writing, but I think the articles are pretty good. So I think it's going to have to be, if they want to stop her, it would have to be something more uh, personal, something more about background or going after uh, using Catholicism as a proxy for her views on abortion and gay marriage. Yeah, Good by the time it. they're done, they'll have her in a black robe and a red wimple dancing around a wicker man, John, you know, Mike Pence, 50 feet high, <laughs> as, as, the, as, the, as the flames blacken the sky of D.C. Hey, I <laughs> guess we're going like to have to— a great show. <laughs> Rob and I will be pitching it next week. Hey, I guess we need to have you, agone, uh, have you on again soon because this is important and you know your stuff, so we'll probably talk to you next week, John. Uh, thanks yeah. for joining us in the podcast. Thanks, John. Sorry about we're the racism. We're stuck with you, John.
And thanks, and thank you for, and thanks to Scott, so I could listen in on his pizza orders this time. Oh, indeed, indeed. <laughs> and it is always fun when John brings up uh, the casinos at the on the cruise ships because uh, if you've ever watched John play, you know that it's not so much he's not really gambling. It's 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 more like charitable giving from, from, from John. <laughs> money, who needs money? I mean, come on, these are not high stakes. When you play Speaking poker with Rob, I mean, I get sick of these nickel and dime stakes. I mean, let's play with real money. <laughs> By the way, speaking of charitable giving, we are sponsored today by Donors Trust, the principled and tax-friendly way to simplify your charitable giving. Now consider, John and Jane have college-aged children. It wasn't long before the couple discovered the world looked different when viewed through this new college lens. Since then, they've been supporting classroom and other foundational programs that teach the principles of economic liberty, rule of law, and free expression. Now, they could have written personal checks to accomplish their goals, but instead, they opened a donor-advised fund at Donors Trust. At Donors Trust, they knew that they would spend less time on administration and more time having an impact. Because a donor-advised fund, it's like having a charitable savings account where you can manage your giving in a smart, tax-advantaged, and private way. Donors Trust is unique. It works with donors at all levels who share a commitment to freedoms and the principles that strengthen America. Donors Trust philanthropic advisors can help you sharpen your giving, discover new groups, and define your charitable legacy. So join the community of liberty-minded donors at Donors Trust. To see how a donor-advised fund could benefit your giving, go to DonorsTrust.org slash ricochet for our six reasons to use a donor-advised fund. That's DonorsTrust.org slash ricochet. And our thanks to Donors Trust for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome to the podcast H.R. McMaster. Faoud Michelle Ajami, Senior Fellow with the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. He was the 26th Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs under President Trump. Upon graduation from the United States Military Academy in 1984, McMaster served as a commissioned officer in the U.S. Army for 34 years before retiring as a Lieutenant General in June of 2018. McMaster holds a Ph.D. in military history from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and his new book is Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Uh, let me quote from your book. You said, at the turn of the 21st century, the United States was set up for a rude awakening of tragic proportions, end quote. Why was that, and did it happen? Well, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it was a setup because we were overconfident. We were overconfident. And that overconfidence led to complacency in the 1990s and maybe even a bit, a bit of hubris in connection with the belief that the end of the Cold War and the lopsided victory in, in Desert Storm, the 1991 Gulf War, had meant that really there was an arc of history that guaranteed the, the primacy of our free and open societies over closed authoritarian systems. A corollary to that is that great power competition was a relic of the past. And then and also there was great confidence in American technological military prowess as demonstrated in the 1991 Gulf War. If any, if any adversary had the temerity to challenge the United States, future war would be fast, cheap, efficient, waged from standoff range. And of course, the first shock of the, of the early 2000s was the mass murder attacks against our country on September 11, 2001. That was followed by wars in Afghanistan and Iraq that were of unanticipated length difficulty and cost, and then the 2008 financial crisis. And, and then it's, it's then that that pendulum shifted from overconfidence, I think, and, and overoptimism to pessimism and, and even resignation about American foreign policy. Hey, HR, it's Peter Robinson here. Um, the book, again, is Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. You and I have talked about this already. We recorded a, 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 an episode of Uncommon Knowledge on it. If I may 
you're very careful about talking about the current commander in chief, partly because you're a military guy and you owe respect to the commander in chief, and partly because, of course, you were his national security advisor. But if I may ask, we're in the middle of an election season, if I may ask the following question, the argument would be that Donald Trump, this improbable uh, strategic thinker, Donald Trump has now achieved a bipartisan suspicion of China. Before he was elected, it was not quite there. He's achieved that. He's now, whatever one thinks of this or that aspect of his policy in the Middle East, if you look at it in broad strokes, you've got the UAE and Bahrain formally recognizing the state of Israel and entering into normal relations with Israel, the first such breakthrough since the Camp David Accords of 1978. You've got Russia in at least some ways on the defensive. We've got troops of our own, NATO, participating with NATO. We've got troops in Poland, right on the border of Russia. Is it, it to somebody who's trying to make up his mind about how to cast a vote, it does, let's put it. I'm trying to make. I'm trying to make this a nonpartisan question for you, HR, so you can answer it in good conscience. <laughs> yeah. But does Donald Trump clear the bar as at least a competent foreign policy president? Well, this is what I cover in, in battlegrounds, Peter. As as you know, is that we have to be able to 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 assess these policies based on what's in our interest, and certainly it's in our interest to to con, to confront the aggressive policies of the Chinese Communist Party. I think it's clear now that if China succeeds in exporting its its authoritarian mercantilist model, that the world will be less free, less prosperous, and less safe. And the shift that President Trump and the Trump administration put into place from a, a policy of cooperation and engagement on China to one of competition, I think was was long overdue, was immensely important, and I think will reshape our approach to, to China for, for maybe generations to come if the Chinese Communist Party doesn't alter its, its aggressive approach to the world. So that is so, a so, so that represents a major even if Donald Trump leaves office in January, even if he loses this election, that is a major achievement. Correct. And I, think, and I think historians will acknowledge that. And I think I think historians will also acknowledge the, this achievement of the normalization of relations under the Abraham Accords of United Arab, Arab Emirates uh, and, and Bahrain. This is significant in that it, it, it recognizes that the interests of the Arab monarchies is aligned with with Israel, at least on on the issue of, of Iran, and it also I think could be a very important force uh, in isolating jihadist terrorist organizations from sources of ideological support. And again, another very significant achievement: Israel, of course, uh, vowing not to annex the West Bank, which which those countries can say was an achievement for for them. Uh, but but I think this is the beginning of of what hopefully will be a trend in the Middle East. Of of uh, of a recognition that we're all people of the book, and and that and that as these jihadist terrorists try to to cast their you know their their use of mass murder as their principal tactic in a war against all civilized peoples, as having some any degree of of, of, of religious <laughs> legitimacy, that they'll be able to they'll fail to do that in the future because we're going to come together you know, across various religions and recognize. Uh, th that we need to work together to build a better future. Hey, General, it's Rob Long in New York. Thank you for joining us. Um, after the Cold War, the argument was that we're kind of lost without 
an enemy, a controlling and a metaphor, a controlling an umbrella enemy that we could see in you know Central America, we could uh, struggle against in South America and in Africa and all across the world. Uh, and the the good news is that we won the Cold War, but the bad news was we kind of lost our way. Have the recent movements you've just mentioned in the Middle East, the movement from Bahrain and UAE towards uh, recognizing Israel, the willingness, obviously, of Israel to negotiate things that it had been previously a little intransigent about. Um, is that are we now seeing kind of a reemergence of a of an umbrella enemy or at least an umbrella challenger in Iran that we can kind of focus through that lens our next moves in the Middle East, whatever they be? Well, Rob, I, I, th I think we should, obviously. I, what, mm -hmm. what I what, what I what I try to explain in the book is we ignore really two fundamental realities about Iran. One is the nature of the regime and the Iranian regime's right. determination to export its its radical ideology, and the and the second is just the fact that Iran has been waging a four decade long proxy war against not right. only the great Satan and the little <laughs> Satan, you know, United States and Israel, but also the Arab monarchies. So I think there could be a very significant alignment. Uh, in that connection. And I think that's all positive because it should signal to the Iranian regime that they have to make a choice, right? They have right. to make a choice between, are you going to be a responsible nation or are you going to be a terrorist state essentially? And I really hope that one day our European allies, you know, will, will mm -hmm. join us in, in helping to convince the regime. Does that seem likely? That it doesn't seem likely to, doesn't seem likely from, from now. Does that seem likely for you in the future? It does seem like the Europeans have always tried to triangulate uh, between us and the Iranian regime, is, is that is that is there going to be a sunset on that, or do you think that's that's something we got to contend with? I think there's going to be a sunset because you know who we can count on. We can count on the supreme leader of Iran and the IRGC <laughs> because true. you know yeah. every every time you know every time you know every, every time the Europeans are, are kind of weak on Iran, uh, you know we they, we uncover the next you know, the next Iranian terrorist plot to commit murder on European soil. Uh, or, or we see the next egregious act by the, the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps Quds Force. So, so do you think it's going to happen at sort of a slow diplomatic pace, slow change in Iran as it slowly turns itself around? Or is, uh, is the Iranian regime uh, as weak as some people have been hoping for the past 20, 25 years? Is that really ever going to happen, the, the protests we see in the streets or have seen in the streets in the past? Um, is that something we should be hoping for or something we should be helping? Or is that something we should probably uh, chalk up to a daydream? I think we ought to encourage the Iranian people uh, because because they really actually imagine that want to have a say in how they're governed. And so I, I think there is, as we've seen uh, in the protests over the past really couple of, of years, that, the, that they're extremely dissatisfied with this corrupt regime, this corrupt authoritarian regime. But of course, you know, in these situations, the, the, you know, it's, it's difficult for the people because because the state has all the levers of power. And in this case, for the Iranians, it's it's the Bashish, Bashish, the, you know, this, 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 uh, you know, this, the, these thugs, uh, who will literally beat into submission any Iranian who has a temerity to suggest that they should have a say in how they're governed. And then it, and it also, of course, uh, is the regime's ability to establish these criminalized patronage networks where these bunyads and mainly the, 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 the children of the clerical order and IRGC uh, commanders are at the top of these commercial conglomerates and they dispense patronage uh, so that people are dependent, dependent on the regime remaining in power. But of course, with the with the with the sanctions and the drag on the Iranian economy, mainly from the corrupt regime itself, along with the collapse of oil prices, has put Iran under tremendous pressure.
And that, that could be happy ending for us. But if we could turn uh, just briefly, I know you got to run, but uh, briefly to uh, our competitor to the east. Um, China, we're, all, we're entangled in them in a lot of ways, probably a lot of ways we can't disentangle from. Uh, we sort of recognize them as a strategic competitor. Um, it, is it worrying to you that the newest generation of Chinese leaders do not remember how bad it was in for them in the, in the 50s and 60s and even the 70s, that they... Uh, they have a, maybe a more rosy idea of the past that they turned their back on 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Is that something that you, you that we should be concerned with, or something that we think will 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 sort of correct itself over time? It's something to be very concerned about. And what Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party have done is try to erase the memory yeah. of, of the Cultural Re- Revolution and and the great great leap forward, and and to and to create this narrative that this is really a, a linear you know path of of, of progress. Uh, after after the century of of humiliation, and now that China is inevitably taking center stage in the world, the the uh, the propaganda is increasingly jingoistic, hypernationalist, and anti-American and anti-U.S. allies. And what I'm concerned about is what if the Chinese people, maybe in particular the People's Liberation Army, they believe this propaganda and begin to act on it on their own. I think related to this is the is the probability that Xi Jinping, the dictator that he is, uh, is, is, is a bit of an echo chamber. And I think what he's hearing now is, hey, you're winning. You're on top. Look at America. Look at all the problems that they're having. Look at the dissension around their election. Look at the racial divide laid bare after the murder of George Floyd. Look at the effect of the pandemic and the recession. And hey, we're coming out of the recession and we're going to be stronger than ever. So I think this is a very dangerous period at this post-COVID period, you know, a, a pandemic that, that the Chinese Communist Party foisted on, on the world. Um, and, and I think that we have to be especially vigilant at, right. and, and, and watch really as China has already ramped up its aggressive actions, really from, from Europe with Wolf Warrior Diplomacy to the right. Himalayan frontier, to the South China Sea, to Taiwan. Well, we don't have that many levers to pull. As you said, in China, we're, we're sort of enmeshed in a lot of different ways. What levers do we have? Where, where, where are they weak that we can poke? Where's the, to use the art of war, where are they not expecting us to show up and where should we show up? Well, I think we have to show up together across the free world, right? That's why, mm-hmm. that's why the subtitle of my book is The Fight to Defend the Free World, right. because our interests align on this. And I think if the United States, Japan, and the EU are together in confronting Chinese aggression, various forms of aggression, including economic aggression and industrial espionage and and non-tariff barriers to entry to their market and and anything but uh, fair and reciprocal uh, trade, uh, then I think we can really make some progress. Uh, But of course, China is very good at the strategy of co-option and coercion and concealing their nefarious aims and portraying them as just normal business practices. So I, I think the real opportunity here, and this is already ongoing to a certain extent, but is to but is to ramp up international cooperation. I think India's with the program now that they've had to yeah. had to confront their their you know, war. Yeah. Uh, yes, right. So so I, I think that's the greatest opportunity. How how if you're the president of the United States, you're advising the president of the United States, whoever that president is, how how, how big a deal would you make the Uyghurs, the the separatist movements to the west and I there are even some up in the in in the Manchurian north and in the Southeast Asian south. How, how how shaky would you try to make or how much mischief would you make for the idea of Chinese unity? Well, I think what we have to do is, is certainly call out what is a campaign of cultural genocide. It's our it's our humanitarian duty in, in the world to, to draw the attention to the to the fact that there are you know, millions of people 
um, at least a million, uh, maybe as many as, as two and a half million in, in concentration camps. And that this campaign of cultural genocide has resulted in the reduction of 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 uh, you know of of Uyghur birth rates by sixty percent in, in in some areas. I mean, right. this is this is terrible, and it's and we have to draw the world's attention to it. I was very glad to see the United States take the lead in, in sanctioning companies who had a hand in in helping to establish the Orwellian surveillance, technologically enabled police state in Xinjiang. Uh, James Lalix here in Minneapolis, and you know this is the geopolitical hotspot of the world right now, and I know you have so many questions about Minneapolis, but we know you have to go, so we'll just have to have you back another time. So much to talk about in your book, Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. I look forward to reading it. Everyone else should. And uh, next time we talk, uh, there's probably going to be a few more hotspots, old and new, that we can discuss. Thanks for joining us in the podcast today. No, thanks to all of you, and thanks for just a great, great podcast. I listen to you guys every every episode. Thank oh, you. Oh, that's so cool. Much. Thank Whoa. you. Thanks, General. That's great. <laughs> all right, all right. Bye bye. All, all right. right. Well, now I have to say to everybody, buy the book twice. I just saluted the mic. <laughs> Honest to God, I just saluted my microphone. It's always great to have somebody of McMaster's caliber in the show. It really raises our VIP quotient, don't you think? Right. But then again, all of our guests are VIPs. All of our sponsors are VIPs, but only one of them is a VPN, and that's Express. Look, there are tons of VPN providers out there. You've probably heard of a couple of them. Some of you may have even used one before. Maybe work makes you use one. But I like to do my research on the sponsors, and I only recommend the brands to listeners that I believe in. And I can say with full confidence that Express VPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN does not log your data. Lots of really cheaper free VPNs make money by selling your data to other ad companies. No, 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 you don't want that. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Second, speed. I've tried lots of VPNs in the past, and yeah, you, you know, you're anonymous, you're floating out in Paris somewhere, but it's slow as a mollusk on molasses. Slow your connection down, they make your device sluggish, who needs it? I've been using ExpressVPN for, oh, it's got to be, what, six, eight months now? And internet speeds are blazing fast. Even when I connect to servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos with zero lag. Now, the last thing that really sets uh, ExpressVPN apart from the other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're connected. It's so easy. Even your grandparents could use it if they're of the technophobic uh, demographic. It's not just me saying this, by the way. It's Wired. It's The Verge. It's CNET and many other tech experts. They all rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use this link, expressvpn.com slash ricochet today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash ricochet. Visit expressvpn.com slash ricochet to learn more. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Um, Robert, are you still there? We know that I'm Peter had here. to leave. I'm not Peter going anywhere. A, Peter had a previous commitment, so he had to scoot. He won't tell us what it is, international man of mystery that he is. But um, so uh, I think there was an Emmys this week. Was there? I, it's was, hard to know. Yeah. The uh, have, you, have you ever won an Emmy? Uh, I have been. I have been nominated several times. I think I have. Yeah. Uh, but local, I, I tend a, a, I, lo, a local Emmy, which oh, is, is you little, know, it's, Emmy. it's like a that's like a county level Grammy, but you know, go on. My rule is that I don't uh, watch or I don't go to award shows where I'm not nominated. Mm-hmm. No, I <laughs> it's like I mean, I really don't. I mean, I keep thinking like, why do I care? Uh, and I know I'm supposed to care. Um. 
but I just don't. I just uh, I, I I want to win uh, myself, and so I'm and I'm happy other people can win, but I just am not interested if they win. The ratings were horrendous, and yeah, apparently, there. I I guess when you don't actually have the ceremony of somebody standing in an auditorium with a bunch of beautiful people clapping like seals, um, there's there's no appeal to it. Just seeing these guys standing up in front of a green screen somewhere handing it out has has, has limited entertainment value. The only thing I saw was Jimmy Fallon getting dressed down, and sort of nodding, uh, whenever he was supposed to nod. And it, 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 it struck me again, how disconnected I am from the culture, I guess the television culture you're plugged into it. So you tell me the new slate of stuff that's going to be coming out of this, uh, out of the, uh, the studios for the next season. I don't even think in terms of seasons anymore. I don't know no. if you do, but the new stuff that's coming out, how much of this is influenced by this desperate attempt to feel incredibly relevant with the social moments and get on the right side, of all of this and let everybody know that they're on the right side of all of this. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm bad at math. Um, so I'd have to say what's bigger than 100%. <laughs> Is there like a, uh, I don't Google know. Percent. Google, Google percent. percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be, it's a lot. And, and I think also it's one of those things where it, it, it's, um, it's part of the, uh, uh, you know, it, it's just built into the system, right? Because you have a sort of larger thing at the top and everybody's concerned with, um, you know, nobody wants any trouble, right? Uh, and there are probably one or two people who are really sort of legitimately com committed to, uh, you know, a, a, a more inclusive uh, set of programs, which I, I, whatever that means, it's fine. But they're still governed by um, the marketplace and all the people going to them and trying to pitch shows to them are governed by the marketplace. And you try to make it easy for your the buyer to buy, right? You don't want to make it hard. Uh, you want to make it easy. So I think there are a lot of people uh, rethinking pitches and saying, well, what if uh, where the, the lead was not a doctor, a guy, uh, uh, older white male doctor, but a young uh, Latina doctor. What if, uh, and there's a lot of that happening. So part of it is just, you know, from the, from the, the, the fat end of the funnel, things are changing. So at the narrow end of the funnel, when you're something appears on your TV, it'll be from that. I mean, I, I think that's going to happen. I think. Right. But, but that doesn't yeah. seem particularly new, at least from my cursory yeah. glance of watching, the process walking, walking past the yeah. medical shows my wife watches. I hope to live long enough that I can see a show about Sherlock Holmes where Sherlock is a white male because Dream now on. the new version is his sister, who I'm sure of course sure. is brighter and more intelligent than anybody else. And we're going to have to cycle through endless permutations of Sherlock Holmes before it's novel and, 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 uh, and, uh, shocking again for it to return to its original roots. And, and that's, that's fine. If it, you know, if people like it, they like it, but how much of this do you think, I mean, you mentioned the market. What if the market completely rejects every single bowl of spinach that they put down and just simply insists on, you know, good stories, good characters, good writing and the rest of it. Yeah, I think they will. Look, I don't think those shows will be bad because of it. But I do think that, I mean, what you're pointing to is kind of correct, which is but if if those shows are good, then nobody cares. I don't really think right. anybody cares. And if they're not good, then I don't think it really helps. I mean, I don't, nobody, nobody cared that Star Wars had a black stormtrooper. 
There was a completely manufactured uh, uh, controversy online. Two or three geeks or something in some obscure website said something. And nobody cared because gotcha. it was an interesting character and it wasn't a bad movie. And so we liked it. it, it you know, the, the reason that people hated the Rose Tico character is because she was boring and whining and had no personality and seemed to be a Mary right. Sue. So you're right. I mean, American television watchers seem to be open to yeah. watching yeah. anything if it's if, if it's good. It's just when we feel we're having spinach tamped on our throat like, like you know, gunpowdered on a cannon maw – that that's when people balk. I, I have uh, my, my theory is that I, I tell people when I'm uh, putting the show together or when I'm helping people out or when I'm doing it myself is I say the same thing over and over again, which is that nobody pays for homework. If you give people homework, they're not going to watch. They don't pay for homework. So mm -hmm. don't give them homework. Make sure, you know, you may have a mission. You may have a message. You may have something you desperately need to communicate with your work and your show. That's fine. But you better hide it. And it better become in a very, very attractive, pretty package that's got lots of laughs and romance and excitement and thrills and chills in it, or uh, it's not going to work. It reminds me of something that AOC said this week when this is all over. You're not going to be able to go back to brunch. <laughs> yeah. Of a mind with Michelle Obama saying, you know, Barack Obama is not going to let you. I can't remember what he wasn't going to let us do. And it is the same mentality that people who walk up to diners sitting outside enjoying an alfresco dinner and play drums and tambourines and yell at them through bullhorns. You right. will be engaged. And that's the thing that I'm wondering about the post-election period, should Biden win, whether or not there's going to be a mandatory engagement for all of us <laughs> or whether people will have just said, look, I voted for Biden. I got rid of the other guy. I did my part. The drama's over. Leave me alone. I don't know if a lot of the people. My neighbor has a Biden flag. He's got a he's got a tall two story flagpole, and he put out a Biden flag today. And I I I, 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 I can't imagine contradiction in terms, isn't it? <laughs> well, I can't imagine ginning up having that much enthusiasm for the fellow. But okay. I, I think a lot of people just think that it's going to be returned to normalcy and, right. and that, that, that's what they want. It'll be politics will be boring again and it's not going to affect them in any way, shape or form. And I think they're wrong depending on whether or not Biden's I think in charge. Right. Or, I agree. I, I, our, our friend of our podcast and a friend of mine, Mickey Kaus, who's just a lovable nut, um, hated George W. Bush, hated him, hated him, hated him, uh, and uh, but didn't wasn't crazy. Didn't think John John Kerry when in this 2004 election was just a complete loser. But he had he made up a few bumper stickers that had uh, uh, or John Kerry bumper stickers, and the tagline was "He'll do," right. And I feel like that's kind of where you should be with Biden if you don't like Trump is that he'll do. So the idea of waving a flag, I mean, luckily I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I can't even fake my non-enthusiasm. I can't fake any enthusiasm for any of the candidates, but especially not for Biden. It seems hard for me to understand how anybody could. Um, but the idea that we're trying to, that, that that side is trying to sell people on the, on this continuing passion, this continuing struggle is, um, uh, doomed because that sounds like homework right so let's make the bumper sticker for this year he will suffice until removed for mental impairment to achieve the desired effect of ushering in a post-trump culture and, uh, <laughs> which works for both candidates yeah but if you got one of those cute little fiat cars it probably is too long for the big bumper hey folks thanks for listening to us today uh, oh i'm kidding i wasn't ending the show it's time for the lilacs member post of the week no music. No. It's a bit. It's a bit. I'm doing a bit. I'm oh, doing he's doing a bit. He's doing a bit. 
you can keep the, keep this part in. I was doing a bit where you wouldn't have the music because See? that's part of the joke. And then in a huff, I was going to leave the show. That that was the whole thing. So just imagine that I did all that, everybody, and I hope you enjoyed it and laughed heartily. Rob, thanks for being with us, of course. Peter, wherever you are out there, we'll see you next week. And uh, we'll see everybody in the comments at Ricochet 4.0. Next week, boys. Next week, fellas. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. Scared to rock the boat and make a mess. So I said quietly. Join the conversation.